We're going to talk about Ukraine again this half hour. It's a really important week um, for the ongoing effort, specifically for the allies or the partners of Ukraine. The G7 meetings just wrapped up in Germany. Uh, the NATO meetings in Madrid or in Spain begin tomorrow. These, this is an important time just to see what the solidarity looks like, because you get the sense that after more than four months of that war in Ukraine, that it is beginning to flag a bit, that uh, certain countries, that there is starting to be, especially with the cost of living and so forth, that there are certain nations where people are starting to say, hmm, I wonder if this couldn't end differently. I wonder if Ukraine shouldn't cede some territory. There must be a way to stop this now. The truth of it, of course, is there isn't. Uh, if, in fact, Ukraine cedes more territory to Russia, let's be honest, Vladimir Putin's just going to want to take more of Ukraine at a later date. You're just delaying the inevitable if you don't push them back now. But it has been a increasingly and grindingly difficult fight for everybody around. Today, of course, Russia denied hitting a shopping mall in the Ukrainian city of Kremenchuk with missiles, saying that it had struck a nearby depot of U.S. and foreign arms, which had triggered an explosion, which ignited a fire in the mall, which seems absolutely ridiculous. But anyway, Ukraine said at least 18 people were killed in that uh, missile attack on that shopping center in Kremenchuk, which is in the center of the country. It's not on the front lines of this war. It's in the center of the country. But a reminder that this war has no front lines. Um, there was an attack, a missile attack on Kiev over the weekend. Well, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says NATO's plans to boost its rapid reaction force are not meant to provoke Russia. Uh, NATO looking to uh, build that from 40,000 to 300,000. It's a big move. Um, he made those comments at the end of the G7 summit in Germany before traveling to Spain for the NATO summit. The response that we are taking to Russia's illegal actions is measured and proportional. And we are not looking at being provocative. We are looking at ensuring that Russia knows we will be there to defend democracies and the values that underpin them as necessary. Well, the words sound good. The Prime Minister also announced more money for Ukraine, including a $200 million loan through the International Monetary Fund. That all came at the end of the G7 summit in Germany. Um, Canada's contribution also came as G7 leaders committed to phasing out uh, to face out or to ban the import of Russian coal and oil in response to the country's war with Ukraine. Of course, there's been an energy crisis in part of parts of Europe. Canada also looking for ways that we can help Europe wean themselves off Russia's oil. They're making more money than ever off their energy exports these days. Well, NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg said yesterday that the alliance is dramatically increasing the number of forces on high readiness, as I mentioned, from 40,000 to 300,000. Uh, the head of NATO says Russia's invasion of Ukraine has sparked a fundamental shift the alliance's approach to defense. Here he is speaking today. We'll agree a new strategic concept, the Madrid strategic concept, that will be the blueprint for NATO in a more dangerous and unpredictable world. That's Jens Stoltenberg there. Some good news coming out of uh, the NATO meetings already. Turkey, if you didn't know, Finland and Sweden had applied to join NATO. Turkey looked like they were standing in the way. They had a few issues that they wanted ironed out. Well, it looks like those have been ironed out. The three countries signed a memorandum of understanding, a memorandum addressing Turkey's concerns, and that paves the way for the alliance to grow to 32 members, including Finland, which has a relatively long land border with Russia. So with that, all that in mind and all that on the table, joining me now is Kira Rudik. She's a member of the Ukrainian parliament and head of the Golos party. She's in Stockholm, Sweden tonight, where, of course, they announced today uh, that the uh, NATO, look, NATO 
membership looks like it's going to go forward. And she joins us now. Thanks for your time. Thank you so much for having me. Good evening. Um, again, it's been a very violent week in Ukraine. Um, what's going on and what should the response be? And, and what is the sentiment back home right now, considering we had uh, the first attack on Kiev in a long time over the weekend? We've had what's happened in Kremenchuk then yesterday. Um, a difficult time, no doubt. Absolutely. The times are terrifying and difficult. And we know that this is a response for the good news that we've got, that we are now candidate to the EU membership. And we kind of knew that Putin will reply with increasing the attacks if we will get the candidacy. And uh, our leadership was warning all the people to obey the rules and make sure that they react to the air raid sirens because we knew that uh, right now it will be like the risk will be very high. And when we are talking about attack to Kremenchuk, uh, many people had their lives saved because they reacted in time to the air raid sirens and they left the shopping mall building. So one of my party members and leader of the party in Kremenchuk, she was actually there. And when she heard the air raid sirens, she, uh, she uh, went she was in her car when the explosion happened. She said that the car was up like uh, a meter or so above the ground and she's right now in the hospital, but uh, she, she will be fine, I'm sure. But um, we, you know, like the worst thing was when Putin said uh, that he doesn't care that if Ukraine joins EU or not, because it means that he does care and that there would be repercussions. And this is what happened, because we need to understand and remember that Putin will never want to lose the upper hand on anything. And he would hate to have Ukraine out of his influence. What has the mood been like then? I mean, we, last time we spoke was probably about a few months ago, and uh, we know now the war is continuing, uh, that it's continuing to take lives, that it's, you know, it must be hard on the people of Ukraine month in, month out, uh, four months now. What has the mood been now, and, and, and how, is the, how is the resilience, uh, to use a word that we use too often? So I like two things, the resilience and the resolve. And both of them are there. It's, of course, hard because... Right now, almost every single Ukrainian family either knows somebody who died at war or has a family member dying at war. And, uh, but, but there, there is no such thing that people will say, oh, yeah, we need to give it up. Everybody knows that we, it's a hard thing uh, and it's a long thing and we need to brace ourselves. I think the candidacy could not be happening a better time because it was like over 100 years, 100 days of war, and we had to have some uh, boost to morale. And honestly, I'm a Ukrainian politician. I was thinking what that could boost, uh, boost can be. So we had like some uh, when when Russians were pushed from Kiev, then when NATO grade uh, weapons were supplied, so people were like uh, were more motivated. And right now. The candidacy was a huge, huge, huge motivational boost for everybody. I can tell you what my father said. He said, I don't understand what candidacy means, but I do believe that our country has future now. So I'm ready to continue what, uh, doing whatever we are doing. And this is basically to sum it up. Uh, people don't really understand like what the candidacy gives us, but they know that it's an absolute direction to European Union that we have been recognized for our effort of fighting for democracy and that we are already 
uh, like we are already at the table and this is fantastic and this uh, i was in brussels actually the evening when the candidacy was um was voted for us and uh, my favorite thing is like if you hear about a crazy woman running around the european commission and screaming hooray ukraine it was not me it was not you so- Yes, I saw your pictures there. I mean, for listeners who who, who may not have seen this, uh, the European Union uh, fast tracked, accelerated to some extent after many many years of delay, uh, candidacy for both Ukraine and Moldova, which means they are a, a big step closer to EU membership. It's not a done deal; it could take quite a while for it to happen, but it is certainly uh, symbolic and much more. Uh, what was the reaction for all of you, specifically the political, uh, the MPs and so forth? What was what was your reaction to that news, and and was is it unexpected to, that it happened that fast? Uh, well, so at, at the time when it already happened, we knew that it would happen. I think the turning point was visit of Macron uh, and uh, Draghi and um, Scholz to Kiev, where we didn't expect much of that. But they came in and said, we support Ukraine's candidacy. And it was a week before uh, it was voted in uh, European uh, um, uh, Council. And actually, uh, we already at that point, we knew that we will probably get it if, we, if nothing would happen. So we were extremely excited and we knew that this, it would be a historic thing for our country. And as for us, for MPs, it means more work. And I can tell you there was a, such a huge difference in between the evening when uh, the candidacy was voted in, when everybody was calling and cheering me up and all the politicians. And we had a meeting with Macron on that day and he was like so nice and saying, okay, Ukraine has such a bright future, etc." And then on the, uh, the next day, it was already a working day because the candidate as ourselves is receiving a list of things to do like a homework. So this is what we need to achieve to become a member. So next day was already for me a working day for with when we were as MPs figuring out how do we do this homework. And I can tell you that the homework is doable, but it may take time. And this is why right now we are figuring out what is the best way to tackle some of the items. There was nothing in the homework that we don't need or couldn't do it was all on the rule of law and equality and anti-corruption and um and, and uh, judicial systems all the things that my party and myself have been working before but right now we not only we uh, had the candidacy but we have this you know push that we needed so much. There is another thing that I'm keen to talk about is that to get the candidacy, we actually had to ratify Istanbul Convention, which was also a historic step for us. I uh, I do believe that if it was not for candidacy, we would never have voted in for it. So uh, right now, I think we have this again window of opportunity to make the necessary changes for our country, so we can um, so so we can actually. Uh, be reformed. And this is probably the first time in my life when I'm saying that the process is most important, more important than the result is. Because like when we are getting the EU membership in year or in three years, does not even uh, is not even compared to the point of how the country needs to reform to be uh, to be actually um, allowed into EU. And this is what we need to do. And this is what is an exciting thing that uh, that we are given this chance. 
It's the Istanbul Convention for listeners to know is on gender equality. So uh, clearly something you've been fighting for, Kira, I know. I'm speaking with Kira Rudik, member of the Ukrainian parliament, head of the Golos party. Uh, she's in Stockholm tonight. We're talking about uh, events unfolding in Ukraine, as well as the entire, this very big week diplomatically, uh, both with a G7 meeting that's just wrapped up, a NATO meeting, which is beginning. When we come back, we'll talk a bit more about Ukraine's expectations and what could emerge uh, from those gatherings of world leaders this week. That's next. I'm speaking with Kira Rudik. She's a member of the Ukrainian parliament, head of the Golos party. She's in Stockholm uh, tonight, continuing her work advocating on behalf of Ukraine. A very important week, week diplomatically. We've already had the G7 wrap up uh, with uh, world leaders, including Canada's prime minister. We've also now have the NATO meetings underway. Uh, Ukraine is watching, I know. What would you like to see emerge uh, specifically from NATO now at this point? Because I know there's concerns that there is fatigue around the world with uh, with with the war itself. I mean, nothing compared to what's happening in Ukraine, but there is some diplomatic challenges there. What would success look like for these NATO meetings uh, for you? Uh, well, the f- first of all and foremost, I would like to see the uh, Air Force protection systems delivered to Ukraine as soon as possible. You remember the first days of war when we were saying that we need a no-fly zone. So for our listeners, I can say that up to right now, four months of war, we have not received no-fly zone. And we have not received the necessary equipment so we can provide it for ourselves. And every single attack that happens on the peaceful cities, on peaceful people who are walking in a shopping mall, on peaceful people who are like uh, fueling their cars uh, at the gas station, etc., etc., it may it could have been prevented if we were given the necessary equipment to protect our skies before before this all. So, so people who were in the shopping mall and who were killed yesterday, they could have been alive, and this is just killing me to say that because. Because these are we talking about some uh, basically uh, pieces of metal delivered from one part of the earth to another, comparing to the human life, and and this is so painful to understand and to make the statement saying that in four months there has not been a progress on us receiving those necessary systems. So as of right now, I do expect that with allies like Sweden and Finland, with allies like European countries who right now have been done significant work with Ukraine since the previous NATO summit, that they would push for us having an ability to protect ourselves. It could be a turning point for Ukraine, turning point for the war if we will finally get means to say this this in this region in ukraine are safe right now there is no such place that we can say that we feel safe and that we can say that it is safe that rocket will not come onto your head uh, in a moment and and this is so frustrating so we need a means to say certain regions certain areas of ukraine are safe right now none of ukrainians can feel safe anywhere in the country and this is putin's goal to constantly remind us of that and the nato's response should be bringing more and more weapons to ukraine and nato's response should be finally to give us the weapons that we need you were in Sweden today. I know that the big news out of NATO today was that Turkey's agreed to Sweden and Finland's uh, excess membership in NATO. Uh, you were with Swedish MPs today. What was the reaction like uh, when you were there today? Well, it was very, very much similar to the reaction of Ukrainian MPs when in Brussels, 
uh, we learned that the vote for candidacy happened. Everybody was cheering and saying, oh, yes. So they were very proud of the prime minister uh, who negotiated uh, the deal with uh, with Turkey and got Recep Erdogan to, uh, to, to agree to um, uh, having Finland and Sweden to NATO. I do believe that there is one lesson that we all, no matter of uh, which country we are at, learned at this war is that it is impossible to fight the war alone, just impossible. And that there is a, a huge value in unity, huge value in organization, and there is a huge value in in collaboration and in uh, um, solidarity, actually. And we learned that and we know that the system that we had in place, political, social security system, they all could be made stronger by expansion. And this is why we see the expansion of European Union, not only by Ukraine, but also by Moldova. And this is why we see the expansion of NATO by Finland and Sweden, because everybody's just finally realizing, okay, all those, you know, hashtag stronger together, but we are actually stronger together when we are fighting for the same cause. So everybody was extremely happy. I'm just I'm just back with the meetings with the parliamentarians. We actually had to disrupt it because because it was impossible to continue uh, on Ukraine's issue when they were so cheering up for for getting uh, into the NATO and uh, or, or like having the chance uh, that it will be voted in tomorrow, as Ian Stolterberg said, and, you know, it's also another another motion to feel uh, happy for another country that is also moving into the right direction. I think what is historic about Sweden and Finland making this decision to join NATO, before that, everybody, like every single democratic country was actually using this fantastically terrible excuse, oh, we should not be doing this and that because it will annoy Putin. And Sweden and Finland at some point said, like, we don't care what will annoy Putin. We know that it will annoy Putin, that expanding NATO will annoy Putin. But we have to think about our own citizens, our own people, about what is good for them. And for that matter, we are saying, yeah, we are ready to annoy Putin. We are joining NATO and he has to be OK with that. Kira Rudik, thank you so much for your time. Have a safe trip. I appreciate it. Thank you.